We just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and, and look at your word. We ask that you lead and guide us through this as we look at this psalm again. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Last week we read Psalm 82 and we made it all the way through two verses. So we're going to go back to 82 again. A psalm of Asaph. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and accept the per people of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither do they, will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundation of the earth are but of course, are out of course, excuse me. But I have said, you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you will die like men and fall like the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, and you shall inherit all nations. All right, so we're gonna, we left off at verse 3. Okay, started out talking about God standing in judgment. And then he starts giving the criticism of the people. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. And this is an interesting saying because God is expecting the government and the officials, and, the, and in this case, the church itself, because you got to remember in, in the days of the Old Testament, the church took care of the poor. Mm -hmm. The church defended the poor. The church fed the poor. All right? And that was part of what the tithes were used in the offerings because they were given a lot of grain and meats and stuff. They, they were the welfare system. And even in the early days of the United States, the church in, in Europe, the, the church was the one who took care of the poor. And that way, it was good to be very local because the church would know whether somebody was a, was a bum who just wanted to, to take and take and take or were they somebody who truly had hit hard times. And if you remember, that, you know, the, the community would come together quite often to raise a barn for somebody. You know, if their barn burned down, they would, the community would come together and they'd help them do a barn raising. If, uh, if a farmer got injured and couldn't harvest his fields, then his neighbors would come and harvest the field for him. Now, if he was just a lazy bum who didn't want to go out and, and harvest his field, they would say, tough, you, you can lose your crops, we don't care. Right. But because they knew the person. The reason the government uh, doesn't work because they're too far away. They don't know. All they set up is some rules. If, if this is true, then you get help. Okay? So if you don't make a certain amount of money, they'll give you help. The fact that you're sitting on your butt playing, playing computer games or sleeping all day doesn't come, into the, come into, the, into the equation at all. So here he says, judge, uh, defend the poor. Vindicate. Be ready to help the poor. And there are people that are poor that need help. There are people who are poor that don't need help. Mm -hmm. Okay? And we need to be able to determine that. And sometimes it's hard. Especially if you live in a place where lots of churches are because these people will go banging on the doors of all the churches each week and, you know, and make this big circuit and they'll come to your church about every, every three to four months you know, after they've gone through all the other churches. And you know you start seeing the same people, and you go, "Well, you know, what's wrong with this person?" And then there are people who definitely need help because they can't help themselves. And God says, "Defend the poor, the ones that are truly poor, and the fatherless." And again, this is a time when, without a father, without 
you know, without a father there, you're probably poor, very, very poor and, and need of help. And it didn't have all these stuff. And it says, and then he goes, and do justice to the, to the afflicted and needy. And that's to do right. Do right to those who are afflicted, those who are truly needy. And this is, this is something we see so often that, you know, and it gets hard. I, I was on a benevolence committee, and it was really hard trying to determine, is this somebody who needs help? Or if we help them, are we just perpetuating their laziness? And that was a hard decision sometimes. And because you had to look at it and say, well, I see this person every other month. I don't think I'm helping them. Flip a coin. No, we did more than flip a coin. We, we prayed a lot. We uh, talked about people. Thurman, Thurman, Thurman and the Urim. Yeah. Thurman, Thurman and the Urim. No, we, unfortunately, we didn't have that to throw. So. Do you help the person or do you not? You know, are you supposed to help everyone equally? And unfortunately, I'm, I'm of the belief that you don't help everyone because a lot of people you're not helping. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is something that was very important. And a church especially if they have stuff, should be willing to help those who truly need. But sometimes you think somebody truly needs and then you start looking at them and, and they're, they're smoking away $50 a month and they're drinking away $50 a month and you, know, and, you, and you watch what they're doing and you're going, well, why should we be giving you 50, you know, 50 to $100 worth of stuff when you are literally burning up or destroying that much? Uh, we had one person who wanted help, and, and they had two motorcycles, an RV, you know, but they, had hard, they did hard times. It's like, sell the stinking RV, and you won't have a hard time for a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we want to be careful. Yes, we want to help, but we also don't want to perpetuate a cycle of need and, and laziness. And God is not saying to do that, because it's so important that we help people. And oftentimes when we give people benefits and help, we're not necessarily helping them. Parents do this quite often with their kids because they don't want to see grandkids hurt or great-grandkids hurt or even their kids hurt. They'll give and give and give and perpetuate bad habits in their kids instead of letting them hit the bottom and, 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 having God, and turning to God. And this is a hard thing. It's a hard decision to do. It's a very hard decision to look at somebody, especially when there's kids involved, and say, no, you're wasting so much of your money and time that we, if we're helping you, we're not helping you. And this is something we look at you know, when parents are caught up in a drug addiction cycle, blowing their entire month's money, what do you do for their poor kids? And you've got to take sympathy on the kids because basically those kids are fatherless or motherless because of the, the drugs. This is a hard decision. But to help people, truly help them, is a hard decision to make. Because you want to make sure you're helping. It's been the same way in, in, for a long time out in, in places where you knew each other and you had a community. Right. As we're getting further and further away from community, yeah. it's getting less and less. Mm -hmm. And even in, God's even in God's economy, he told them, do not harvest the corners of your field. Do not go back over the field and pick up the grain. Because, why? Because the poor were to go out and have a place to go get food. Now, they couldn't go in the middle of your, middle of your field and harvest all the, all the best, but the corners were left. They had to feel like they were working because they did work. God never wanted people to just be given a handout. 
giving somebody a handout in, in, encourages laziness. Now, the hard part in our day and age is the laws are being put together in such a way that if you allow somebody, restaurants and stuff used to let people come in and work for a day and work for a dinner. Now, they won't do it because these people would then complain they hurt their back or something and sue them. You know, here you were being nice and helping them earn, earn something and they turn around and sue you. So, all of these rules are coming up and you know, restaurants used to give all their leftover foods that, where they were, that they would throw away, they'd give them to homeless shelters or, or, or the homeless straight directly themselves. But again, somebody got sick, usually by the way being handled wrong by somebody else, or that they held on to it all night long and, you know, not at, not at proper temperature and they did after five or six hours of, you know, wandering around and got sick. Or got sick off something else. And uh, then when, and, and blame the, the restaurants. So now restaurants won't, for the most part, won't give their stuff out to the poor and they throw it away. And this is a sad thing because we see what God says to do and be good with the people and help people, and we see our world changing drastically and, and becoming a very hard place to be. A lot of inner cities have made it against the law to go out and hand sandwiches to the poor because you, because you might be trying to poison them and make them sick, is what they say. It's more the fact that the government doesn't like competition and taking care of the poor. But the problem is, and this is something we've shared a few times, is we are, we are turning back to what we used to be. Okay, and we've been spoiled in our day and age because we think of Christianity and, and living with the Christian, Christian ethic of, of protection and everything. But it wasn't very long ago that if you got sick or hurt, you were determined to be worthless unless you could get unless your body could heal itself and it was hard to heal yourself when nobody was taking care of you or you know and didn't care whether you lived or died children if you didn't want them you just you offered them to the gods or threw them in the river or killed them straight up and this wasn't very long ago that this was happening okay during the roman empire that happened all the time you know in the greek empire the the egyptian empire this is what history has always been if you weren't strong, you deserve to die. It was the attitude of the world. Christianity came and said, love one another, be kind to one another, and the Christians have developed orphanages, hospitals, schools, and did all these things to be kind to people and try to help people live in spite of what the world was telling them, you deserve to die. And so this is very critical. We're starting to return back into that mentality and we're starting to see it. We're starting to see it, you know, euthanasia. You know, you're too old to be useful, let's kill you. And they, and they treat, you know, they really talk to them like, you know, you really don't want to use up your, your children's inheritance. You, you know, you're not, you're not worth a whole lot. You might as well just commit suicide, you know, physician-assisted suicide. Don't want a child, kill it. You know, you're too sick, you know, our government's starting to do that with, in the Medicare system. You're, you're just too old for us to spend that kind of money to fix this kind of problem, so therefore we're not going to spend it. It's part of the world system. It's what the world has always been in the past, and it's only been a very brief 2,000 years where Christianity has reigned in Western civilization. Africa and the Middle East and, 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 and Asia have never really known the, 
mediating system of Christianity, they have still been very harsh in that area because of the religions and everything that based on karma and everything else, it says, hey, you're, if you're sick, you deserve it, so you're going to pay for it. Or you're, you're poor, that's because you were bad in your previous life and you're getting what you deserve, so if we help you, we'll be violating the gods and karma so they don't help you because that would be a violation of the roof of what you're suffering, and you're suffering it for a reason. But this all goes into, it's the starting of, you know, right now it's by choice, mostly. <laughs> but it won't be the further we get from God. And this is the, the important thing we need to understand. As we watch our civilization decaying, it's what it has been, and we've been spoiled because of Christianity, primarily. And Christianity has done all these things and you look at the way people are traded in the rest of the world, and you should be glad that you live in America and or Europe about 100 years ago. Europe is not as good as it used to be either anymore. And they're leading in this whole charge of all these different problems. And this is critical for us. God said to the Jews, deliver the poor, take care of the fatherless, do just. And we see, and this, is, this has been very commonly stated and, and is becoming more and more true, there is no justice unless you have enough money to buy a good lawyer. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, you can hang up justice. And that's pretty much a true statement. That if you don't have a good lawyer, you're, you're given a lawyer. And that lawyer doesn't want to be doing anything for you, whether it's a public defender who comes in, most of the public defenders come in with the right attitude they want to help people and then they get burnt out because their caseload gets so heavy. Mm -hmm. Or they assign you a lawyer and that lawyer really doesn't want to do anything for you because he's used to making money. He or she's used to making money. So unless you have the money to pay for them, you're not seeing much justice. And I see more people that sign plea deals that are the most worthless plea, plea deal that you could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And they're going, well, I'm not guilty, but I just, I'm told that uh, this may happen if I don't win the case. Well. You know, that's up to you, but, you know, and then you, and during those plea, once you sign that plea deal, they can do whatever they want to you, and you have no recourse. You can change the deal, you can, and what ends up happening is they pile on community service and fees and, and probation and courses and all kinds of things. Before you know it, you're, you're spending out 12000 you know, $20,000 that you didn't have in the first place, which is why you didn't hire a lawyer because you didn't have the money and you're spending just as much as you would have to get a lawyer. Justice, without God being the center of everything, justice does not really exist because people are sinful. And we've got to understand this. The sin of man influences everything. And without God being part of somebody's life, there's no mercy, there's no love, there's no justice, there's no, there's no protecting the poor because everybody's out to try to get what they can and here God's telling his people you're to be good to one another and it says in verse 7 uh, 4 deliver the poor and needy rid them out of the hand of the wicked or deliver them out of the hand of the wicked this is something that we need to be looking at is how do people get justice Somebody has to stand up for them. We have to stand up for the poor and the wicked, uh, the poor and the needy, because they don't have the money to help themselves. They don't have the, the ability to feed themselves even at times. 
if they're truly needy. And the thing that bothers me is when I see somebody, you know, cheating the system. Mm. You know, cheating the system and saying, well, I'm going to get all this stuff, you know, and, you, and, and these, some of these people who beg money, you know, they're on the same street corner every day making money. And the surveys have shown that many of them are making more money than a lot, uh, per day than a lot of people will make in the whole week at, at a regular job. And they're playing on people's sympathies, and they're, and they're cheating people in, in many ways. Now, are everyone on the corner cheaters? No. Many of them are, unfortunately. Verse 5, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are but are out of course. And this is, this is talking about the world. The world does not know. This is kind of funny when you look at people. All the excuses people will make for cheating people, cheating others, stealing from others, not helping the poor, you know, and we'll hear it all the time, well, they're just getting what they deserve, you know, they're lazy. That may or may not be true, but we want to be careful of those kind of judgments because we don't know all that there is to know. And we want to be very careful. And even when we think we know all that there is to know, we probably don't know everything. And it's very critical. And it says, they do not know, neither will they understand. And this is something that I've found on various times. When you talk to somebody, and you teach them, and you share what God says, and they choose to not understand, or maybe don't choose to understand, they just don't understand, and this is the darkness that's out there. When you speak the truth to somebody who is, does not know God, oftentimes the truth just kind of bounces off their, off their brain and they don't, they don't really hear or understand. And you're kind of like, well, what part of it don't you understand? And yet you talk to a Christian and it's like the lights go on in their head and it's like, oh yes, this is, this is truth. And here they don't understand and neither will they understand. They don't know and they don't understand. Why? Because they walk in darkness. They're walking in that darkness. They're stumbling over everything as, as they walk because they can't see in the dark. And God is saying, just let me shine the light on it. Let me give you light. We talked about this morning. The light will manifest in our life. How, we're, how do we get light? Light is of God. And without God... We do not get light, and we walk around stumbling. And then, if you remember when you're before you were saved, or if you know some people who aren't saved, you watch them stumbling around and making the same mistakes over and over and over again without ever understanding what they've done, what they're doing wrong, because they're not connecting the dots, because they're not hearing truth, and they're hearing the lies of Satan. And this is important. They don't understand. They're walking around in darkness. And then it says, all the foundations of the earth are out of course. Okay, they've been shaken. They've been knocked around. Have you ever been there where it seems like everything is being shaken around underneath you when you're not really walking in God's truth? Yeah, think about this. The world is like that all the time. And they'll make excuses and they'll go, well, it's just circumstances. All these bad things are happening to me. I just cannot, you know, you'll hear this, I can't get a break. Mm -hmm. You know, I just can't get a break. Nothing goes right. 
Well, that's because you're not applying God's truth. You're not looking at him on how to, to walk. You know, later in Psalms 119, we're going, to say, we're going to hear, Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. His word lights our path. When we're walking in God and reading his word and getting light in our, in our life, we see the path ahead of us. And I don't know if anybody's ever tried to walk out in the middle of a dark, dark place. Uh, sometimes at night, you know, I'll get up and... You know, try to go some. You know, especially if I leave the bedroom and, and walk out, and there's pitch black, and it's and you and you walk along, and something something is where it doesn't belong, <laughs> and the next thing you know, yeah, or sometimes a dog, but you know, or or a box or something is you know is laying in the middle of the room, and the next thing you know, you've stubbed your toe, or you or you've almost fallen because something is not where it belongs. Because rake. you couldn't see it. The rake in the yard. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the way we are in our lifetime so often. Without God, we're walking along in darkness. And if you've ever been out in the wilderness on a moonless night doing camping or something, and you and you tried to go to the to the facilities without a without a flashlight or something, you, know, you who knows where you might end up. <laughs> Uh, walking into a tree, over a cliff, you know, you never know. On top of a snake. On <laughs> top of a snake, yeah. But darkness blunts everything. All you need is a little bit of light, though, to see. A little bit of light, and God is that light. He shines in our path. He shines, he shines in, our, in our opening, and he says, this is the way. Walk in it. He's that still small voice that when we get ready to do something that's wrong, he says, don't do it. Maybe it's a loud voice if, that's, if you have so much confusion in your head, but usually it's just a small voice. Don't do that activity. And sometimes when we're so confused, we've got our minds all, all mangled, it's hard to hear that voice. Very hard sometimes to hear that voice. We would love God to be yelling in our ears so that we go, okay, God, I hear you. But it's just still and small because he wants us to be paying attention. He doesn't want us to, to be entangled in this world and all that's going out. And this idea of the, all the foundations of the world are shaken out of course. Sometimes when we're walking away from God, we'll feel that. Everything just is shaky. There's no firm foundation. And God is saying, get back on the, get back on course. Come back. And otherwise, he lets the world get shaky. He lets the world knock us down a few times. <laughs> because we need that knockdown. And sometimes it's important to, to hit that bottom. And this is why it's important for us to understand that those that we help when, they're, when God is trying to shake their world and get their attention, we're not really helping them. Other times, we want to be able to help people because they're trying, they're, 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 things are just going against them. And that happens. We've all been there at some point in our life probably where things just seem to be going against us. Sometimes it's because we're not paying attention to God. <laughs> And he's trying to get our attention. Sometimes it's just a test to see, are you willing to just relax and rest? You know, it's very important for us to let God be our defense and just rest. Rest in him. Because Jesus has finished the work and he said, he's resting and we are in him, so we should be resting. How often do we struggle? 
and, heart, and fight and struggle. And do some more struggling. God's saying, are you done yet? <laughs> yeah. Are you done yet? And when, finally when we go, yeah, I'm done, he goes, okay, let me help you out. And he, and he lifts us right up out of all the mess that we put ourselves in. Well, while we sat there and struggled and fought and, and you know, made, made all the problems, and God's saying, okay, just relax. Let me take over. And this is what Jesus said. He said, my, take my yoke. It is easy and light. God wants us to not have a burden, not be burdened by what's going on in our life. How often do we spend time worrying about things that we have no, no control over? And we worry about things that don't even happen most of the time. And this is pretty important for us to get hold of. God says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares, upon, uh, cares for you. And yet we'll sit there and worry and worry and worry and worry and worry. And God's saying, why? You know, there's one thing to worry if you actually could control anything. But, you know, we can't control anything in the future anyway, really. And I've said this over and over. At the end of this service, when I leave this building, I plan to go back to Kingman. There's a 99.9% .9 chance that I'm going to make it back to Kingman. But there's a small chance that I won't make it to Kingman. Anything can happen. You know, an automobile accident, uh, you know, the rapture, uh, you know, have a heart attack on the way home. You never know what's going to keep you from getting your plans done. And so if you're sitting there worrying about the future, it's quite a waste of time. You know, now, if you're being attacked by a, by a pack of animals or something, that might be a time to worry and say, God, I need some help. Because uh, you know, there's an imminent, <laughs> imminent threat that's right there at, your, at that moment. But to worry about things that we can't control is a waste of time because God's in control of the future. And all we have to do is be ready to deal with what comes our way when it gets here. And that, again, is resting in God and letting him help us deal with, with those things. And that doesn't mean we don't make plans for the future, we don't save money, we don't plan for, for, for retirement, but we don't worry about it, okay? I'm not worried about when I get to retirement. We put some, a little bit of money away, it's not much, but we put some away. We put some savings away so that when we have something bad happens, we have a little bit of money to help do that. Need more, we'll put more in, but you know, I'm not worried about the future because I've, I've got a few plans in place, but God is still in control. No matter what happens, he's in control. This is important for us to understand. God is in control of the future. He's gonna take care of us when we get there. And the worst thing about it is we really think about all the things you've ever worried about, how many things have ever come true that you worry about. A very small percentage of what you worry about ever ever comes true, so you wasted a lot of energy on, thing, on things that might happen that never did. And so worry is not something you want to be doing. And God says, cast all your cares on him. So if you're worrying, say, God, here's, here's my worries. You want them, you can have them. And give, literally give them to him and, and live in the present. Mm -hmm. It's very important for us to live in the moment that we're living in, because that's the only thing we have any control over. A lot of people worry about the future and they waste their life away worrying about the future that they have no control over. A lot of people worry about what they did in the past and won't forgive themselves and, and how it impacts. And God is saying, now, 
He, he, his name is I am that I am. I'm the God of the moment, is what he's telling people. He's also the God of the past and the future, but he is the God of what's going on right this moment for us. And this is all I have. I can only make a decision in the moment that I'm in now. And even as I said now, that became the past. Okay, I have a very small slice of time that I can deal with at any time that I can make a decision that I have an impact on. Whether it's good or bad, I have an impact on one tiny piece of time. And a very, very small influence in the future. I mean, I can make plans, but I still don't know for sure that I'm going to fulfill those plans because it's all in God's hand. So we want to be careful with this because God has put us in a place that is very shaky. This world is a shaky place. We never know what's going to happen and we can't, if you really want to worry, you could, you could be worried about every single possibility that's out there and you could worry about hundreds of thousands and millions of things that are out there and waste your life being worried. And then the other extreme is to worry about the past. Well, I did this and it's going to have this impact and you know, I just can't forgive myself and you know, these people aren't going to try, you know, get rid of the past. It's under, it's under the blood. It's forgiven. If you've, if you've confessed it and, and put it under the blood with Jesus Christ, it's gone. And God doesn't remember it anymore. He says our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And it's very good that God didn't say as far as the north is from the south because that does have a place where it turns around. But you can go forever around this earth and never start going the other direction. As long as you go east or west, you'll always be going east, east or west, and you'll never start, there's never a place where you'll start going back the other direction as far as the compass is concerned. Yes, we can go around and end up where we started, but the compass is still going to say we're going the same direction. And that's what God said. He's removed our sins. He forgives. And this is what I love about forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that God says, I have chosen to do. Forgiveness is a choice. And we've covered this a few times, but forgiveness is a choice. I choose not to remember it and think about it and meditate on it. And the more I choose not to meditate on it, the more likely it is to be forgotten. Now, yes, it's still in the brain. We've talked about that. It's still in the brain. I can, I can retrieve it if I really want to dig it up. But what, what things do you remember? If you're trying to memorize a Bible verse or something, why do you remember it? Because you meditate on it, you think about it, you, you, you review it over and over and over and over. How do you remember different things? You just thought about it so much. Sometimes you thought about it so much that you made it permanent. Okay, things like the alphabet. How many of us think about the alphabet on a day-to-day -day basis? You know, we really don't, but we, we know the alphabet. You know, we can go A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Yeah, well, then they tell you to do it backwards. Yeah, how good to do that? You know, how many of us think about numbers, you know, counting? I was a file clerk, so. You know, or addition tables or multiplication tables. You know, there's some things that we put so deep in our memory that it's permanent. When it comes to forgiving somebody, we do not want to put their sin against us so deep into us that it becomes a permanent memory. How do we do that? We keep repeating it. We tell everybody over and over and over again about this activity that happened to us. And we make it a permanent thought in our mind 
And once we've done that, you haven't forgiven the person and you never will until God does a work to get it out of your mind. How do we break that? We stop telling people about it. Yeah. Get it get it out of our mind and get it quit forgetting. We don't tell people what they did because if we've forgiven them, when we're telling people we're trying what we're doing really in reality is trying to hurt them and pay them, make them pay. Even if we're telling people they don't know. You know, we're still in, in one sense trying to make them pay. So if you ever meet this person, this is you know, this is what they do, this is how they are. Okay. And we change the way we think, we change the way we speak, we change the way we act toward these people. We give them love, we give them the forgiveness, we show them that we're not holding it over their head and trying to hurt them. But the more we speak it, the more we're, we're trying to hurt them. And this becomes where forgiveness is. God forgives us and he will never bring the sin up again because it's forgiven. It's under the blood of Christ. It's separated as far as the east is from the west. God will not bring it back. Annie? The Bema seat. Aren't we before the Bema seat? Christians will go to the Bema seat, yes. Okay. Will all of that come out then? No. Thank you. The only thing being judged on the Bema seat, because we are in Christ, will be our works. What we did or didn't do. What we did or didn't do. All of our works will be cast into the, into the fire. Everything that I did in the flesh is wood hay, and, uh, wood, hay, and stubble. And again, remember, we've talked about this. Stubble, stubble is pretty worthless. You can't use it for anything. Hay, hay is valuable for feeding animals and, and, build, you know, and giving structure to brick and stuff. So there's things that hay is good for. Wood, wood is pretty substantial stuff, but it burns. When I do anything in the flesh, some of what I do is totally worthless. It's vain and totally worthless. It's going to all, that will all burn. The, the hay, I fed people, especially as a teacher. I may, fed, I may have fed people. The people I feed, I may be doing it in my flesh. It may be for them silver, gold, and, and gems, or it could be just hay or stubble as well. Wood, that's the, thing, that's the really good stuff we can do. Those are the people that stand up before Jesus and say, God, you know, and he says, depart, I never knew you. And he go, God, didn't we do? You know, we cast out demons, we fed the poor, we clothed the, clothed the, the, the naked, we went to the prisons and visited. Very good things, substantial good things. A lot of what we do as Christians is going to be wood. Mm -hmm. I helped people. I did things for people, but I did it in my flesh. It wasn't God working through me. It was me doing it in my flesh, and much of what we do will burn up. What will stay? What God does through us. When he's crucified us and he's poured out of us and said, I'm going to do this. And the good news is he does the work and we get the reward. You know, it's a one, his plan is very different from the world's. You know, he says, I want to do the work for you and I'll give you the reward. You know, I'll do the work and you get the pay. Isn't that a wonderful system? You know, we've been trying to find that on earth all the time and God is saying just let me do it spiritually and, he'll, and those, are what, those are the things that will last what he does through us will be what gets through the Bema Seat now I believe at the Bema Seat that he will also show us what we should have had if we had done what he wanted because we'll come out of the Bema Seat with tears at what we lost but he's also looking at what he can reward us for Here's, here is your rewards 
You could have had so much more, but here's what you've got. Can we get the gift those to him? That's a question that's hard to understand. In, the, in Revelation, it says the elders cast their crowns before the throne of God. It doesn't say we do. But will we, give it, will we have the desire to give it back? I don't know, possibly. We're going to be built a mansion. Are we going to want to give him back our home? I don't know. It's, you know. When we start talking about the heavenlies, who knows what we're going to do because we don't have a comprehension of what that means. We have no comprehension of what it means to be in heaven. We have no comprehension of what it means to have a reward in heaven. We have no comprehension of what it means to be placed in authority and higher than somebody in heaven, whereas everybody is going to want to have you know, that. We don't even have a clue as to what it will be to be in a sinless and pure love environment. Right. We can't comprehend it. We can't comprehend any of that. So when we get to heaven, everything is new. Everything is new. And as, as has been said, you know, some people, Jesus said, take from him who, who didn't use the talent and give to him who did unto who has much, uh, much more will be given if they're honest or if they have much and don't use it, it'll be taken and given to him who used. He said, we're going to have authority over cities. You know, there's going to be a structure in heaven that we don't really comprehend. When we get into the scriptures, it talks about commerce in, in the new heaven and new, new earth. It talks about eating in the new, new heaven and new earth. Not, made, not necessarily what we're used to, but it has eating, it has commerce, it has activities. I believe that it has learning. I believe we're going to forever be learning more about God and never learning everything he knows because he knows he'll always know more. There's going to be an interesting world when we get there and it's described in the scriptures. And it's not just sitting around doing nothing for all of eternity. Because that is not what we were created for. We were created to work. That work was not part of the curse. Adam and Eve were, plant, or were put in the garden and they had a job. Their job was to take care of the garden. Now I hope there's other jobs when we get into the new heaven and earth because I'm not much of on gardening myself. Matter of fact, everything I, everything I garden dies. So I hope there's other things to do in the new heaven and new earth other than, than gardening. But With kids in it. <laughs> but... You, we see that man was created to work. That was the whole purpose. Now when he sinned, work became difficult. He says the earth is not going to give its full abundance to you. Work became hard because of this sin and became a labor and not just work. But you know the greatest thing, even in this day and age, the greatest thing you can do is find a job that you love and that you enjoy. And if you've ever been there, when you're doing something that you love and enjoy, it's not work. It's almost play. It really is almost play. Somebody's, somebody is paying you to do something that you would do on your own if, they didn't pay, if you didn't need a paycheck, you'd do it anyway. And when you find that kind of a job, it's wonderful. I call it exercise. Work. <laughs> Some people exercise for free. I get working for money. It's a, it's a, it's paid for exercise. Yeah. But that's how I look at being a pastor. And, and is I get to do what I love to do anyway. Before I was paid to be a pastor, I taught. I visited people in the hospital. I went to their homes and I knocked on doors and I taught Bible studies. 
The only difference now is somebody gets to pay me to do what I want to do anyway. Labor of love. You know, yes. And so, and even, though, even when I first got into computers, it was that same thing. It was like, oh, I get to play with computers all day. That got old after a while. I never feel that way. That got old after, after a while. But you know, I've never gotten tired of teaching the Word of God in the entire time I've been doing it. And I started when I was 14 years old teaching Sunday school and, and doing home Bible studies and things like that. I am now doing what God has told me to do, and it's so much fun. And it's, and it's just this wonderful thing, and that's going to be what heaven's going to be like. God's got the perfect job for us in heaven. Whatever it is he's taught us to do and given us gifts to do, we get to, we'll get to do something that we enjoy in heaven, and it won't be work. And being able to do that. And this, if we remember the Truth Project, Del Tackett talked about God taking the seventh day and saying rest. He's basically saying quit playing for a day. Okay, is how he described it. You get to play six days a week, quit playing one day and, and, and concentrate on God. And you know, this is kind of interesting when you're doing what you want. When you're doing what you want, it is almost like playing. Somebody pays you to play, doing what you want. And you really do have to kind of force yourself to take time off because we do need to rest our bodies. And it's very important that we do take time off and say, I'm just going to focus on God and, and rest for one day a week. And very important on that. Verse 6 says, and I have, I have said, you are gods and all of you are the children of the Most High. And this is kind of an interesting statement because this is, you know, he's saying that you are Elohim. You are masters, rulers, and it is literally translated as God in the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God is Elohim. And Elohim is a very interesting word in Hebrew because it's a plural word for a singular God. Now we would understand it as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being represented as one. Now the Jews have trouble with it being Elohim. Because they're trying to figure out who, who, who this one God is talking about that, that is a plural word. They have a lot of trouble with it. Because they don't go Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they don't say the angels are God. So they don't know what to do with it. All they do is translate it as God. As a sing, you know, it is the God. But here he's saying that we are gods and you are all children of the Most High. Now, technically we're not gods, but we are his children. And because we're children... Man was created to have dominion on this world. He was basically cre created to be not God, big God, but God in dominion of this world, in charge of this world. That's how we were created, to be in charge of everything on this world. When Adam and Eve sinned, they made a great trade-off for, for, for the devil. They traded off the rulership of this world that God gave them. God gave dominion to man over everything. And when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost fellowship with God, they died physically, spiritually, they eventually died physically, and they gave up dominion of this world to Satan. Do you realize that when Satan, on the, on, when he was tempting Jesus, said, if you will bow down to me, I will give you this world. Do you realize what that temptation was? You might think, well, he didn't have the right to. Yes, he had the right to give him back the world because he took it from Adam and Eve. What he was saying is, if you want to skip the cross, I'll give you dominion of this world. You don't have to go to the cross. I'll give, I'll give it to you if you'll just bow down to me. 
That was the temptation that he was presenting to him. Bow down to me, you'll skip the cross, and you'll get the world. Because he, Jesus was going to get the world back anyway. The only problem is to, to get it back God's way, he had to die. And Satan was saying, I can give you a shortcut. And he said no. And thankfully he said no, otherwise we'd all end up in hell. Mm -hmm. Including Jesus, which would have been a very contradictory idea that God ends up in hell. But that was what he was saying. Give a shortcut. Make, make me, you know, worship me and make me God, and I'll give you back all this world. We really have to understand, at the cross, Jesus took the world back. Mm. He paid the price of sin and has taken back possession of this world. Which is why Satan is such a dangerous adversary now is because he is he's lost, he knows he's lost, and he's fighting tooth and nail to, to keep making people think that he has power. It's a toothless lion out there wandering the streets trying to make us think that there's power. He's been declawed, defanged, has no power in reality, and yet we give him a lot of power, and we fear him. Now, it doesn't mean we run out and try to challenge him because he is still smarter than we are because he's been, just by, just by the sheer fact that he's been around a lot longer than we have, he's, he's smarter than we are. But he also keeps using the same bag of tricks. And this is the funny thing about Satan, he keeps doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. But that's the way sin repeats itself. Oh, sin repeats itself, religion repeats itself. All these new, supposedly new religions are just the old religions renamed and revamped, and revamped with, a new, with new words in them. And you start looking at them and you're going, oh, that's, that's this religion or this religion or this religion. And you can go back through history and there's only three or four really different ones in there. And even all those are the same. I like Satan convinced the world that he didn't exist. Yeah. Is that true? I, don't, I think that's a very true statement. I like to well, he's always worked because he doesn't care whether you believe in him or not. As long as you don't believe in God, you're going to hell with him. He doesn't care whether you believe in, believe in him or not until you get there. When you get there, you'll know that you believe in him. But as long as he can get people to think that the spiritual world does not exist, that God is, God is not the value and that, that he doesn't exist, he doesn't care whether we believe it or not. Because to him, it doesn't matter because he's, his goal, and I've said this over and over again, his goal is one goal, and that's to take God's precious creation away from him. How he does it, he doesn't care. You don't believe in him, and you don't, as long as you don't believe in God, he doesn't care. His only goal is not, he is not building a kingdom. And I keep saying that over and over. He is not the king of hell. He is not the ruler of hell. He is an inmate of hell. And his goal is to bring as many people into that realm with him as possible, not because he wants to rule. Oh, he wants to rule, but he's not going to rule. His whole goal is to hurt God because man is the pinnacle of his creation, created in his image. And he wants to hurt God and say, I've taken this many people away from you and that's something that that's the only pleasure he's getting out of this whole thing taking people away from God because he's he's a defeated enemy he knows he's not going to win but his his idea right now is to cause and inflict as much pain on God as he can because God's heart is going to be broken when he sends people to hell but even though it's their choice and he sends them according to their choice his heart's going to be broken even though they deserve it 
because he loves them. Just as when we had to discipline one of our children, it, unless you've unless you're got some problems, <laughs> mental problems, it hurts you to, to cause pain to your child. A spanking should hurt the, the parent emotionally to have to do it, to, to take away uh, restrictions should hurt the parent because the child is being hurt. Now, they need it, they, it's deserved, it's important that it happens, but there should not be any pleasure in discipline. And if you have pleasure in discipline, you shouldn't be disciplining. I didn't have pleasure. I just let, he said, that I know, Mama, this is going to hurt you worse than it's going to hurt me. And I said, I can assure you that it will hurt you much more than it will hurt me. I understood that it hurt me. It, 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 it did. Verse 7, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Even though we are following God and we're his children, we're still under the curse of Adam. We will die physically other than, other than the rapture. And, and we're told in the New Testament, it's appointed unto men once to die and afterwards the judgment. We all face death. And that's one of the things that's very true. You know, we're absolutely assured that we're going to die yep. unless we get raptured, which is the same thing because then we're translated and changed anyway. But outside of the rapture, we all will die. And then we face judgment, whether it's the Bema Seat of Christ where our works will be judged or the White Throne Judgment for the lost. And at the White Throne Judgment, there's one question they're going to be asked. What did you do with my son? Because that's the only thing that's going to send them to hell, rejecting Jesus. They can have a pile of sin. It doesn't matter. Okay? We can have a pile of sin. As long as we know Jesus, we, the sins are covered. They can have a very small one or two sins, which is not going to be anybody out there. But if they rejected Jesus, they're going to go to hell. The question at the White Throne Judgment is, what did you do with Jesus? What have you done with my, with my son? A real simple question. And he's going to show them every time that they rejected him. And nobody is going to go to hell thinking that they deserved to not go there. They're going to know that they, that they made that choice. And one of, the, one of the lines I used quite often when I was soul winning on the street, somebody goes, well, I'm not interested. I'm going, okay, just remember that on May 1st at 6 o'clock, you were told the gospel message because I wanted them to understand this is a serious situation. You won't be able to stand before God and say, I never heard. And this is something that's very important that God has said, even when we're his children, we're going to face death. We're going to die. And then the last little thing that Asap says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. God is in charge of the whole world. And he is the judge. And there is going to be a day that he arises and judges all nations. And all nations become his. And this is the picture of when Nebuchadnezzar had his dream of the, of the, of the image of gold, bronze, uh, silver, bronze, and, and iron. And at the very end, the stone came and crushed everything. And the mountain came, began, the stone became a mountain which showed Jesus' rule over everything. And when he rules, when he finally takes rule, 
and the new heaven and new earth are started and he rules everything, all the old will be gone. It won't be remembered anymore. You know, and it's hard for us to figure out, you know, how can we be in heaven? How can we know we're getting what we deserve and all of this and not remember any of the past? And, you know, God's got all that figured out. I don't have to know and figure that part out. He's, he's got it all in, in, his, in his time. You know, the wonderful thing is, you know, we know that there's one God, and the most important thing is we know we're not him. And the more we keep that in mind, the better off we'll be. There's only one God, and number two rule is we're not him. Period. Mm -hmm. And we, we sometimes will get to the place where we think we have all the answers and we know all the things, and no, we're not God. God is the one who's in control. And very important for us to understand that God is going to rise, he's going to judge the world, and he's going to rule all nations. And that's the good news. That is the good news. It's all through the Bible that he's going to be the one that rules everything in the end. And when we look at heaven and, and, and the picture of heaven out there, it's pretty amazing. And it talks all over the place about how we're going to rule cities. Not just Jesus saying it, not just the book of Revelation, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, all these guys talk about that we are going to rule cities. We're, what are we going to rule? I have no idea. I have no idea what it means to rule in the new heaven and earth. Will it be similar to this, where there's another, another creation that's going to be ruled and we will be, in the, be like the angels over, over them? I don't know. That's what a lot of people are beginning to believe, show and believe because it talks about us ruling a world that has activities going on it. It, it says in Revelation that no dogs will enter into the new Jerusalem. Yeah. Kind of an interesting statement in a new perfect place. It's just talking about yeah. evil people, yes. yes. I do not know the answers to that. I studied a long time trying to figure out the answers to that. Uh, in the Revelation class, we did a lesson on that. You can listen to it on the, on the, on the web. It's, it's uh, very interesting to think about that. But it's very clear that there's something out there. There's commerce, there's, there's something going on, and we are ruling over, over something. And, some, and by ruling means that somebody's under us. Could it be the, the Christians who just barely made it into heaven on the, on the grace of God? Possibly, but I don't know how that fits to not being able, you know, things not being able to enter into the new, new heaven and earth, uh, new Jerusalem. So there's all kinds of questions out there. What will the next, next world be like? Would it be another universe? Will it be another creation? So we're still on it. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the, the look at your word that we have and ask you just to bless us and guide us as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen.